to Totalus Rankium. This week, Linda B. Johnson, Part 1. And welcome to American Presidents Totalis Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the presidents from Washington to Biden. And this is episode 36.1. It's Lyndon B. Johnson. Yeah. New president. Yeah, interesting name as well, Lyndon. Lyndon, yeah, it's an interesting name. Uh, it's also a president, forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn here, but maybe one that you don't particularly know of that well. I know... I know he's after Kennedy, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know he took... There's a photograph of him standing next to um, Jackie, like a, a blood-stained dress on. Um, oh, God, right, and okay. <laughs> brain, brain strain, probably, and he's taking the oath. Um, I think it's... I don't know where it was. It was either in a hospital or, or Air Force One uh, or something. We, we will cover that at the start of next episode. Yeah, it's of course. Not, not quite um, this episode. Um, but but I, yeah, I've we've... heard he's, got, he's quite negative. That he's not looked on fondly. Oh well, that's, we that's will see. Uh, we've had we've had quite a few big names, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, we have. But now maybe one of the lesser known ones of the post-war years. But anyway, let's well, let's just go in. Let's do this. Let's let's get an introduction. Um, a wooden floor, mm -hmm. but really close up. You can almost see the grain. So you can't tell it's a wooden floor. It looks like a plank of wood. So when you zoom out, yeah, okay, and you you realise it's more polished than you thought. You keep zooming out, and it's a dark oak possibly dance floor zoom out zoom out there's just people dancing in the middle of this dance floor there you go have fun with that uh, come on you can do it you can do it look we've had like luminous dinosaurs we have but th this this close to something that happened in real life and i'm trying to remember the oh. detail yeah see that's um, how awesome i am so yeah. I'm paying the big bucks for Rob. Okay, so well, I can do this. I can do this. Right. Start on the grain of some wood. It's uh it, it, did you say nicely polished? Yeah, when you zoom out, it's more polished than you thought. You know, you okay. really zoomed in. Like you can see the grain through the lacquer kind of thing. When you zoom out, oh it's polished. Oh, but well, when light. you say when you say more polished than you thought, it's because originally you thought it was the least polished wood in the world ever. Yeah. It's now just slightly polished. It's still yeah. a bit rough around the edge. That's fine. Um, anyway, you you zoom out, pan out, I'm going to say. Uh, pan out, and uh, as you keep panning out, you realise as people come into shop, they're all doing a dance. Yeah. And it's great. Great fun. Do you want to hear the music that's being played <laughs> as they dance? Yeah. Do you? Is it is it WAP by Cardi B? Uh, <laughs> no. Oh. I can now hear it. I'll have to do some editing to make this work, but hopefully you'll hear it in a second. This will be far smoother in the actual recording uh, because I'll uh, I'll just like make edit editing magic happen. Right through WhatsApp, I've just sent you a link. Hillbilly boys, please pass the biscuits. Pa oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not feeling good about this. <laughs> so, as as you're zooming out, this music starts to play. Yeah. And everyone's everyone's having a dance to this. I'm gonna leave it quietly playing in the background as you're narrating. I like it. Okay. Are you, are you can you hear it right now? Yeah, I can hear it very faintly in the background as okay. you're talking. It's great. You're louder. Good, good. It's all it's all a bit hooked This is a lovely isn't experience. It? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is going on. Everyone's jumping around, slapping their thighs. 
Um, there's a there's a quite large man called Pappy on stage. He's doing a big song and a dance. He's singing. He's singing, he's singing he's, now. Yeah, I can hear. Yeah, yeah. He's there with the hillbilly boys, and um, then slowly turn around so the camera's just revolving around the room, almost as if you're in the dance as well. But then, as it swings by, pans by, you could say, the door. You see, staring in the door with a very grim face, a very grim-looking man. And he's not dancing. He's not smiling. And just keep zooming into his face, keep zooming into his face, keep zooming yeah. into his face. Panning into his face, you could say. Is the music getting more distorted as it's moving in? Yes, yes. Like a, bla- like a personality is. black hole. Kind of yeah, yeah. The, the music just becomes all sort of slowed down and sort of a bit more bassy. I hope you and, do this in the edit. <laughs> and then as you zoom into uh, the, the face of this person, just you hear the inner monologue just on the eyes. You just hear a voice saying, I'll get you, Pappy. Oh, yes, I will. And then... Lyndon B. Johnson comes up on screen. Nice. Okay, yeah. I like that. So, right. there you go. Interesting, interesting. See? Got music. Got music yeah. in this one. Do you know what, the effect of just having that really quietly in the background? Of your, your, that, like does, a does that work quite well? We need to do that more often. I need to get some more sound effects so I can just... Well, it's, one because, in the it's because I had a song lined up for this episode, you see. Yeah. So maybe I should always try and have a song lined up. Yes. Right, okay, well, here we go. Who's Pappy? Who's the grim-faced man? Did that scene actually happen? Or is it, uh, is, is it just something I've made up? Let's do this. Let's start, shall we? Uh, we're starting in 1908. Why? Why? Uh, because on the 27th of August in 1908, on a farm in rural Texas, a young boy was called. Was called? Was called Lyndon. Uh, he was born as well. There we go. Yeah, I, we're, we're rural Texas. Think uh, this is very much a time of dirt roads, of uh, horses and buggies. No one really had a car back then in this area. No electricity. Water came from wells, that kind of thing. Okay. Now, the Johnson family, Samuel and Rebecca, were, they were a good couple of days' journey from the nearest major city. So we're talking fairly rural here. Wow. Yeah. I'm um, guessing farmland. Yes, yes, very much farmland. They're on a farm. Grow dust. Mm. Yes, it, 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 think, dust. think poverty here. In fact, when uh, Johnson grew up, he would say, when I was young, poverty was so common, it didn't have a name. Wow. It was just, it was just life. So you've got, you've got Sam and Rebecca on this farm. Life mm. is poor, but they, they think they're a cut above the rest of the farmers nearby because... Actually, they weren't doing too badly. Uh, Sam had been elected to the Texas legislature, and Rebecca, mm. in a time that made this very rare for women, uh, had a degree from an actual university. What? Like yes, a real I one, know. not a fake one? Yeah, not, not even a fake one. And also, uh, just give you a bit more flavour of the area, the nearest large city might have been two days travel away, but Johnson City was closer. Um, this was a, it's more of a town than a city. It certainly didn't have paved roads or electricity. But Johnson City was named after a cousin. So, like, the family name, Johnson. Okay. Anyway, so it's into this sort of environment that Lyndon is born. Yeah, if you got a sister, go. is it a sister that went to university or mum? What did you say? Mother. That's mother. His, his mother went to university. Um, yeah. So her parents probably paid for a university. Yeah. yeah. And she married downwards. <laughs> um, you know what? I didn't think to check, but let's just say yes. Yes, yeah. she did. Uh, anyway, Lyndon's born, and then four more children soon follow. Not immediately. I imagine some other things happened in between them. There was another boy and three daughters. Yeah. Now, 
Lyndon, as the older boy, already loved to be centre of attention. This is something that he, uh, he was known for from a very early age. So much so, when his siblings start coming along, always not happy. He's only about four at this point, and he starts running away from home. Wow. Yeah, he, he does not like the fact that his parents are now paying attention to little brother and little sisters. So he just starts doing runners. Mommy and Daddy, I believe in here. There's nothing you can do about it. That's yeah. fine, son, but if you do, you're going to be dead with exposure within an hour. Yeah, pretty much. That's, right. that's pretty much how it happens. I mean, he's only four. There's only so far he can go. Running away probably just meant going to the other end of the farm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he wasn't happy. He likes attention. He's a, a bit of a jealous sibling. Apart from his jealousy, life is fairly relaxed for young Lyndon on the farm. Just a nice, easy upbringing. He's too young to realise how poor they are, so he just kind of gets on with life. Although his first memory is actually one of his mother and his father having an argument. Because Rebecca really liked Lyndon's curly hair, so let it grow out quite a bit. Lyndon remembers his father complaining, and I'll quote her, He's a boy, and you're making a sissy out of him. You've yeah. got to cut those curls. Same thing I say to you every day. Yeah, yeah. Rebecca refused to do this, but no, I like the boy's hair. But next time she was at church, Lyndon's father took a pair of scissors to his hair. Apparently his parents didn't talk for a week. Well, the last thing you want is a dad haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, you get the feeling this was full-on ball on head, trim around the edge kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah. With, with, the, with the sheep shearing scissors. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's whatever's close to hand, sheep shearing, definitely. Yes, hatchet. Right, standing as the wall. Full on woodsaw. Lyndon apparently seems to uh, take his father's side in this argument because a couple of years later, he refused to carry on the violin and dance lessons that his mother had arranged for him. Rebecca apparently didn't talk to her son for several days after this. She wanted wow. his her son to be uh, a man of culture and learn things. Uh, Lyndon was having none of this. No. I'm not going to learn the stupid violin. I'm not going to dance. Just going to do whatever I want. I want to fight cattle and cut corn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and also, he wants to go and follow his father, because that's what he's really interested in. He yeah. wants to follow almost literally in his father's footsteps. In 1918, at the age of 10, Sam... So his father was once more elected to the state legislature, and Lyndon starts going with him to Austin to witness what his father does. So he's already getting a, t a taste of p politics. Yes, and he is fascinated by it. Uh, he doesn't really care about school or anything and learning, but watching his, uh, watching his dad do his political business with all the other important men in the important city and the important building. Now, this seems more interesting to young Lyndon. <laughs> Daddy, you lie for a job? That sounds amazing. <laughs> Why, is yes, it's Lyndon. Is this whole episode going to be full of your amazing Texas accent? Definitely. Good. Why, well, his dad, because he's now working, he puts on the posh English accent. Oh, Why, yeah. Why, yes, yeah, well, yes, son. They all had English accents back then. This is mm. 1918. Apart from Lyndon, he was the first one to develop an American accent. Yes, exactly. Uh, it was seen as a, a, a peculiarity at the time, but it soon <laughs> got on. Yeah. Anyway, Sam, he's an unbending politician. Is he that always stood up straight or he's just constantly bent over and he's can't bend him back up? I can't picture which. Always stood up straight. And if he wants yeah. to relax, he's just leans against the wall, <laughs> but not in a casual way, in like a 45 <laughs> degree angle way. Yeah. Like a plangle would. Like a plangle would, yeah. Uh, because unlike most, he refused to tow the party line. He also refused to be bought by lobbyists. He was his own man, damn it. He wasn't going to do what other people told him to do. Yeah. Wow. He also fought against the growing rise of the Ku Klux Klan uh, in the region. So 
That's good. I'd say that's positive. Definitely. Uh, he had a very strong sense of justice uh, that he instilled in his young son. However, if Lyndon witnessed how his father was a straight arrow as a politician, he also would have witnessed or at least got wind of the fact that his father also used going to Austin as a way to heavily drink and pay for the company of the ladies. Like a drinking buddy. I, I can only assume so, yes. Something in which he would very much take after his father in later life. Ah. Yes. Now, even at home, Lyndon became obsessed with politics and the job of his father. Obviously, Sam quite often had uh, relatively important men coming around to the farm to discuss things. And whenever they did, Lyndon would hide outside the room and just listen to the political discourse. Uh, because... There wasn't much to do in Texas in 1918, I can only assume. No. However, even more exciting than eavesdropping on his father or trips to Austin was the campaign trail. Little Lyndon loved this. He would go along with his dad campaigning. Uh, it was the best time he had as a child. In fact, I'll quote him here. We would drive in the Model T Ford from farm to farm, up and down the valley, <laughs> stopping at every door. My father would do most of the talking. He would bring neighbours up to date on the local gossip, talk about the crops and the bills he would introduce. Families all the way along opened up their homes to us. If it was hot outside, we were invited in for homemade ice cream, and if it was cold, we were given hot tea. Christ, sometimes I wished it would go on forever. So, it was having a good time. It was really nothing to do, wasn't it? <laughs> it really wasn't. I suppose it's either that or, I don't know, play in the dust. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's what he did. I mean, the only other thing he did, really, was uh, go to school. And he didn't particularly mm. like it. I mean, he was described as a quick-witted student, uh, but he was also described as the kind of student who never really applied himself. He was, as we've mm. seen before, very much a coaster. <laughs> Mum was always putting tea mugs on him. And... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he got bees, um, mostly. Uh, he never did particularly well, uh, but he never particularly tried. He did, had no interest in school. Uh, he soon fell in with a group of like-minded friends, because by the time he was in his middle teens, he was regularly found driving around with his friends, completely blind drunk. <laughs> Despite the fact that Prohibition, obviously, is coming at this time, it's like, well, no one's stopping people drinking in rural Texas, are they? So, yeah. yeah. So him and his friends managed to get hold of some moonshine and just got blind drunk and uh, rode around in a car. Sounds great. Yeah. Don't do that, listeners. Don't get drunk and drive. <laughs> no. Texas is very big. Everything's very far apart. It's less likely you'll hit true. something. They would routinely taunt the local sheriff, apparently, and just mock him and then run away or drive away. Uh, one day they burnt down a farmer's barn. It was that kind of high drinks. Yeah. Right. Um, less pranks, more actually just being... Arsonists. Uh, yeah, downright arsonists <laughs> and um, uh, drink driving. It's not ideal when you're in your mid-teens. Sam, remembering the keen follower of his political career from a few years ago, started to despair. His son seemed so promising a few years ago, but that seems to be disappearing. Uh, apparently one day he said to Rebecca, That boy of yours isn't worth a damn. He'll never amount to anything, not a goddamn thing. So, wow. not, not too pleased. Uh, he also voiced his fear that Lyndon would end up in the penitentiary. That's obvious. Well, obviously where this is going. I mean, it's looking quite likely at this point. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and despite this, however, Lyndon did graduate school and did reasonably well. I mean, well enough that his mother and father pressured him to go to college. Yeah. Uh, it's like, if you've got to make something out of your life, you've got to go to college. 
Now, because the school he graduated from wasn't accredited, he would have to do an extra year before he could apply. So he had to do an extra year of school and then go to college. And by this time, Lyndon had had enough. He hated school. He didn't want to be there. There's no way he's going back to do a bonus year before going to something else that he didn't want to do. Also, he was fed up of living in the middle of nowhere where there was nothing to do. So he was going to do what he used to do when he was four years old. Run away! Yay! Yeah, only this time he's now um, he's now approaching adulthood, so he can run away further. He's got a car. Well, it wasn't his car as far as I'm aware. I think it was a car that was borrowed. Hmm. Yeah. But anyway, uh, guess where he runs away to? The next farm? No, even further. He goes to California. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. They head west, him and four other friends. They've had enough of Texas. They're going to go west. They're going to... Did, did they crank on the Tom Waits on going out west? Yes, they did. That's exactly what they did. Right. Full-on road trip along those long, wide, <laughs> and very straight roads. With no petrol stations for miles. Yes. Actually, when... that must have been quite a risky thing to do back then. Cause... Oh, yeah, yeah, it was. If you're going on a journey like that in a car, you had to have someone who knew how to fix a car. Yeah. Because your car and... was probably going to break down at some point. And you probably have to carry loads of petrol with you. Yeah, yeah. Or gas. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to drive from one end of America to the other today, let alone back then, mm. where it's like, if, if your car breaks down and you can't fix it, there's a good chance you'd starve to death. I mean, you're going to yeah. be very far away from people. And the speed of the car as well, probably take like yeah. eight months just to get across Texas. Probably, yeah. But they do it, they head off. Um, Sam told his son that if he dared leave, he'd yank him back by the ears. But Lyndon decided to give it a chance anyway, so he hops in the car and off they go. I'll quote him from later in life. We thought we'd go out there and make a lot of easy money. Uh, Didn't work, as you can imagine. (laughs) Now, there's actually very little evidence of what Lyndon got up to in California at this time. He later described it as living a vagabond life. He appears to have reached the coast and then spent just over a year going up and down the coast, working any job that would pay him and scratching out a living. Uh, He does that until eventually he realises he can do it no more. This is no way to live. So, with empty pockets and his tail between his legs, he returns home. And immediately, as you can imagine, the pressure is on for him to go to college yet again. But Lyndon's having none of this. No, I didn't come back to go to school. I'll get a job. Now, his father was frustrated but okay rather than working than doing nothing and by this point his father was no longer in politics and his father had a job in construction road construction there weren't many roads back then so they were building them brilliant great so here you go you can have this job job opened up Uh, Lyndon hated it he was miserable he did not enjoy working building roads Uh, He saw a life of boring work open out in front of him. Uh, So he went back to his rebellious teenage ways, if they never left. No. Yeah. (laughs) So he carried on with his rebellious teenage ways, shall I say. Uh, He made friends with a group who called themselves the Wild Bunch. That's not boding well. It's not boding well, is it? They drank, they got into fights, they had drag uh, races. Oh, they were actually wild then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when you meet someone and say, I'm a little bit crazy and and they're the most dull person in the world? I, I think they possibly drank out of mugs that said you don't have to be wild to be in the wild bunch, but it helps. <laughs> they did things like that. 
Yeah. Nice. Um, they also stole dynamite from the construction sites they worked on and just set them off for fun. Things like that. See, that's kind of fun. Yeah. As you can see, it's escalating from setting barns on fire. It's now blowing up buildings I, with I dynamite. I say so, yeah. Yeah, apparently it was quite hard to work with during the construction work. He didn't listen to his father. Um, he got everyone into trouble one day because... Uh, they were behind schedule, and everyone was trying to hide this from the boss. And one day he just went up to the boss and went, oh, we're behind schedule. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so not not great. Quite a few people got fired. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, awesome. including, including him. After about a year, he got fired, uh, along with his dad. Um, turnover in staff, but, yeah, you can get the feeling that Lyndon was top of the list. Hmm. Uh, by this time, he's 18. Apparently, he thinks quite highly of himself. I mean, he's in the wild bunch now. He's uh... <laughs> Apparently, he always wore brightly coloured silk shirts and had a strut Ooh. that got him noticed. So he's basically hit the 70s already. Yes, very much so. He Just imagine John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever. Oh, Bee Gees that, in the background. That is how he is looking. And everyone else in the wild bunch just looks like uh, Rebel Without a Cause. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a bit of a mismatch, but it's <laughs> that, that's what's going on right now. So there he is in his silk shirts and his and his strut that he's got. I mean, him having the strut works with him being John Travolta as well, because mm. that is just the opening credits. So yeah, well, yeah. he used to walk around with a can of paint all the time. Yeah. Who else wore silk shirts? We've had another president who wore silk shirts, didn't we? I can't remember. Oh, who was it? It was... Someone who was in World War One and he came back and opened up a shop. Oh. oh! I can't remember. It would not surprise me if we've already said that someone looks like John Travolta with a silk shirt yeah. on. <laughs> probably kind of have. We probably yeah. are just repeating and recycling material now. Editing Rob here. Um, it's, it's Truman. It's obviously Truman. I'm not sure why I drew a blank during the episode. Uh, but I did go back and check. Uh, we, we said he probably looked like Elvis. Like Vegas Elvis. So therefore... The Saturday Night Fever thing, all good. Anyway, back to the show. Uh, but anyway, never mind. There he is. He's got his fancy shirts on. Um, he's strutting around. He did get quite a bit of attention, apparently. Although just as often uh, by other males who were also strutting around, as he did by the females. Yeah, apparently he got into quite a few fights. And then one night, he managed to annoy a local farmhand who apparently had hands the size of shovels. Right. And he had the crap beaten out of him. <laughs> like, seriously, he, he, he apparently it ruined the white silk shirt that he was wearing. He was just covered in blood. Again, this fits so well with Saturday Night Fever. It really does, because he's now covered in the blood and everything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he manages to get home. He's a mess, complete mess. Uh, his mother cries over his bloodied body and asked him, what on earth are you doing with your life? Are you really satisfied with this? And apparently something something caved and he goes, fine, I'll go to college. Something about him being beaten up made him realise he needs to change his life. However, was he good enough to go to college? And it's not like he ever tried at school. Yeah, but he was clever enough to still pass and get Bs and stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, he does get in. Uh, long sh story short there. He does manage to yeah. get into a college in San Marco. Uh, uh, but once he's in, his grades are certainly no better than they were at school. Bs, mostly Cs, a few Ds, that kind of thing. Right. He became very discouraged very quickly and started to talk about quitting. 
Uh, it did not help that in order to afford to be there, he had to work as the school janitor, which Ooh. is not ideal. However, despite the fact he wasn't doing very well academically, he soon realised that he did actually have a talent. And that was the same talent that his father had. He could ingratiate himself with people very easily. Uh, soon enough, okay. the staff thought very well of this lanky boy who was hanging around. Out of the 700 boys enrolled, apparently he was the only one who'd ever stay after class and then talk politics with the teachers. Because of this, he managed to get a new job. Instead of the janitor, he became the school messenger, essentially. Mm. Uh, but we're, we're talking very primitive times in uh, rural yeah. Texas. Uh, people couldn't just phone each other up back then. So how did the staff deliver messages to each other? Well, they got one of the uh, the boys to run notes. So... That's what he did. So obviously he gets to know all the staff quite well. However, he was less good at making friends with his peers, apparently. The Black Stars were the elite group of the school. They got to go to the best parties, they got to go first in the canteen queue. Uh, if you were a Black Star, you were cool. Uh, he wasn't allowed in, because he was no good at sports. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Always the same. Always the same. So, yeah, as much as quite a few of them in the Black Stars actually quite liked him, he, he wasn't a sporty person, so sorry. Nope. So he wasn't allowed in the elite cool group. He also got rejected by his first major crush, so someone called Carol Davies. Uh, things started off quite well with Carol Davies, but eventually she goes, nah, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> uh, although to be fair she, to be fair he probably dodged a bullet here um, because her father was a very prominent member of the Ku Klux Klan well yeah I mean yes that's it's not ideal is it well yeah. no anyway in his senior year in order to complete the year he needed more money so he took some time off to go and get a job what do you think he does works in a political office as in like a clerk or something you know oh you see that, that oh, you, he would have loved that but no that was a hard job to get um, instead a nice easy job teaching Mm. Yes. He found a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere, which uh, is, like, compared to where he was in the middle of nowhere, we're talking really in the middle of nowhere now, <laughs> quite near the border with Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Uh, most of the town was made up of Mexican immigrants, and he was shocked at what he saw. The town was fully segregated, and the Mexican families were treated, and I'll quote him here, worse than dogs. I mean, this is aware of it at this point. Well, yeah, yeah, he was aware of it, which is which is good. What's less good is the Mexican children that he taught were literally starving. I mean, they would routinely go through the bins to try and just find scraps to try and eat. Aww. Yeah, this is um, not good. Uh, the job brought something out in Lyndon. Apparently, the other five teachers in the school openly disliked the students, and at the end of the day, would just get out of there as quickly as possible. But Lyndon stayed late to do extra activities with the kids. He'd use his own money to buy them sporting equipment and things like oh, that. Wow. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, he's still a product of his time. He taught the children in his class exactly why the United States were right to invade Mexico in the war. And he also taught them that the English obviously was the superior language, so they should probably stop speaking Spanish. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> apart from things like this, uh, he generally did a good job. Hmm. Eventually, he earned enough money to complete his final year at San Marco, which he did. And he graduated with unremarkable grades, <laughs> which is nice. By this time, it's 1930, and uh, Lyndon goes back home to find a family on the poverty line. Uh, Sam, still not able to get back into politics and was really struggling to make ends meet. Uh, but 1930 also happened to be an election year. 
and Lyndon by this point had decided what he wanted to do with his life. There's only one thing he'd ever got passionate about, and that was politics. So he was going to get involved. If nothing else, he would do his best to campaign to get electricity in his hometown. Because after he got back, he watched his mother slaving away trying to get things in order in the house and realised how much easier it would be if they had electricity. Uh Uh, So that's what he wanted. So he was able, through connections with his dad, to get a job working for Welly Hopkins. Hopkins was running for state senate. Also, he used another family connection to get another teaching job as well, just to make sure he had enough money to tide himself over. Uh, But it was definitely the politics that interested him at this time. However, something then happened that would change his life. And this happened several times during his life. Someone dies. His dad. No, this was a congressman for his district. That means a special election was going to be held in 1931 to replace him. Now, a rich Texas man named Kleberg. 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 K-L-E-B-E-R-G. Kleberg. I think it probably pronounced Kleberg, but it's obviously Kleberg. Kleberg. I mean, it's, it's, you've got to say it in a Texas <laughs> accent for a start. Kleberg. 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 Um, <laughs> Damn you, Kleberg! Yeah, it's definitely Kleberg, isn't it? Well, anyway, yeah. Kleberg wins. Um, and Kleberg was supported by Welly Hopkins and no. Lyndon's father. Hmm. Now, Welly and Sam both knew Kleberg well enough that they were able to put a word in with the new congressman. You're going to need a private secretary when you go to Washington, the big city. So uh, why not take young Lyndon? No, his grades aren't great, but he's keen and he loves politics, so go on. Yeah. Amazingly, this works. Kleberg agrees. <laughs> the job was offered. A very nice. excited Lyndon quits his teaching job. I'd like to think it was done in a dramatic halfway through a maths lesson. <laughs> Damn you and your calculations. <laughs> and this is how you add fractions. You know what? I don't care. I don't care how you add fractions. <laughs> I'm off to Washington. Woo-hoo! So he runs out. Denominator this. Kicks over one of the desks and just leaves. Tells one child that they're amount to nothing. (laughs) And off he goes. (laughs) Yeah, straight away, life changes. He travels to Washington with his new boss in a fancy Pullman train car. Uh, This is luxury that he'd never seen before. And once he gets... (laughs) There are windows! (laughs) Well, once he gets to the, uh, the capital... They stay in the Mayflower Hotel. Very fancy hotel. Mm. Now, he only stays there very briefly whilst other lodgings can be found for him because, after all, he was just a young private secretary uh, well, yeah. to, to a congressman. But, to begin with, that was very fancy. Mm. Uh, they did find a place for him to stay, though, and that was in the basement of Dodge Hotel. <laughs> which doesn't sound quite as good as staying no. in the Mayflower, does it? I, I do have a picture of him turning up outside Dodge Hotel and the uh, the signs blinking neon and falling to the floor. And yeah. he goes into the lobby. It's like, oh, make do, I suppose. And then someone says, this way, sir, and opens a door and it's just creaky stairs leading down to the basement. <laughs> it's not It's not a room. It is literally just the basement. Bit of hay on the floor. Yeah. So there's a leaky tap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we strongly advise you do not drink from that tap. <laughs> that's what Eric did and look at him over there <laughs> we haven't moved him yet <laughs> yeah so anyway he's he's in the basement at Dodge Hotel uh we're, I'm, I'm perhaps being mean to Dodge Hotel here it's not a hugely fancy hotel but it was home to a lot of the staffers to a lot of important people hmm. it wasn't where the important people stayed 
Yeah. But it's where the people who worked for the important people stayed. And actually... So information gathering. Well, oh yeah, this could be very useful. I mean, Johnson was able to use his Texan charm uh, to soon get to know many of those people staying there. And through these connections, he also started to be introduced to actual real congressmen as well. So mm. he starts networking, and uh, this is something he can do well. Mm. He can press the flesh, he can go and chat to people, get to know people. On top of this, he joined what was known as Little Congress. Uh, this was just a social club, essentially, made up of congressional aides. They got together, they drank and talked about their jobs. It wasn't really anything big. Um, but when he was elected Speaker, shortly afterwards, he threw his effort behind it, and soon enough it had over 200 members and regularly had key speakers turn up to meetings. It actually became a, a networking paradise, something mm. that people would actually look forward to it wasn't just an excuse to get together and drink it was an excuse to get together drink and actually do something that might help your career so yeah, yeah that was good by this time the great depression's really taken hold now johnson wasn't personally affected too much because he had a government salary so he actually was fairly secure but as private secretary to a congressman it was johnson's job to answer many of the letters that were piling up begging for help yeah. in 1932 Veterans from World War I descended upon Washington, asking for their bonuses Ooh. that had been promised early. Now, if you remember, we, uh, we covered this in Hoover's episode. Yeah. Yeah, now, Kleberg originally was against the idea of paying these bonuses early, uh, but Johnson convinced his boss that actually, if you go for this, it will play well in your district. There are a lot yeah. of veterans in your district. You'll come off well. You might not personally like the idea, but I think maybe you should support this. And yeah. also, it's not going to go anywhere. It's going to no. fail in the Senate anyway, so you might as well say, yes, I support it. Happy in the knowledge it's not actually going to get through. So we've got early suggestions here that even though Kleberg is the, the actual person in Congress, uh, his young aide is already thinking smartly politically. Now, if you remember, as Hoover was in charge, uh, he decided to send the troops out against campaigners in the capital and it's actually MacArthur. Remember General MacArthur? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He he goes out on his white horse and rides them down. <laughs> yes. Literally. Yeah. Uh, Johnson horrified to see the marchers being driven down Pennsylvania and are quote mm. like sheep led by a man on a white horse. Yeah, that's almost what exactly what it was. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Then in 1932, Roosevelt becomes president. Ah Roosevelt. Yes, Bless and him. Johnson was very impressed. The proposed New Deal was exactly what the country needed, according to Johnson. Not only would it help people, uh, but more importantly in Johnson's eyes, it was just damn good politics. Oh, yeah. The president's come in and told the people what they want to hear, and now has huge support. Yeah, I, I guess as, as well, it's quite anti-conservative as well. It's like government are meddling. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People are desperate. <laughs> so. this, this was a very progressive politics for the time, and Johnson saw that, mm. yeah, this is what needs to happen. This is what's going to be popular. Uh, so I'm going to support this. So that's what's going on in his uh, political life. But in his personal life, he meets a young lady at this point. Ooh. Yes, going back to Texas for a visit. He's in Austin, and uh, a mutual friend introduced him to Claudia Taylor. No one called her Claudia Taylor, though. Everyone called her Lady Bird. <laughs> Lady Bird. Which is a very nice, formal-sounding name, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. I am Lady Bird. Yes, exactly. Because I'm a lady and I'm a bird. 
<laughs> yeah, you know her well, I see. Yeah. yeah he's read her autobiography. Um, yeah. <laughs> Johnson, very impressed with Lady Bird. Uh, he, he went on the attack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kill her! <laughs> well, the very first time they met, uh, he asked whether she wanted to have breakfast with him the following morning. Very forward, especially for back then. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A few days later, he drove her 60 miles to go and meet his mother, and then drove her to the Kleberg mansion to show off. Look at these rich people I know. Uh, Lady Bird apparently felt swept off her feet, almost like she was in a fairy tale. Uh, she was so. also, understandably, a little bit overwhelmed <laughs> and was having yeah. doubts. It's like, this is a little bit full on. Uh, do I really like this guy or am I just being swept up? I'm going to have to take time and think carefully about what I want to do. At this point, Johnson cuts her off. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and I'll quote here, let's get married. If you say no, it just proves you don't love me enough to dare to marry me. We either do it now or we never will. Um, I mean, it kind of gets the just say no thing, doesn't it? Because you can say yes to something, but not actually truly want to do it. <laughs> well, they got married the week after. Hmm. Just General MacArthur on his horse. Death, <laughs> death, stroke. You know, because he's running over the thought. I'm gonna get MacArthur on this. She can, you know, make sure she goes through with it, kind of thing. That is a terrifying image. It's still covered in the blood of the protesters from like the previous year. <laughs> I mean, but Johnson and MacArthur do meet again at some point. Uh, at the wedding, possibly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe he was there encouraging Lady Bird to say yes. Who knows? Say yes, nay. Well, just the horse. They have a honeymoon in New Mexico, which is nice. And then they go to Washington together and they rent a two-room apartment. How nice. Yeah. Marriage bliss. Yeah. Uh, however, bad news. Kleberg then fires Johnson. Oh, why? Yeah. Well, it's not entirely clear. Uh, a couple of theories. One is that the congressman felt that Johnson was going too far with his vocal support for the New Deal. Kleberg ah. was not quite as progressive as that. And he right. didn't want his private secretary constantly talking about how great the New Deal was. Yeah. Um, or maybe Kleberg just wanted a private secretary who didn't spend almost all his time on self-promotion. You're meant to be working for me, not just networking for yourself. Or, according to one rumour, it wasn't, it wasn't actually Kleberg who wanted to fire Johnson. It was his wife, Mrs. Kleberg. Oh. Mrs. Kleberg wanted Johnson fired because she found out that Johnson was organising Mr. Kleberg's, shall we say, social life. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. In the, in the lower rooms of the Dodge Hotel. Yeah, quite possibly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what Kleberg referred to um, himself and his trouser region as? The Dodge. <laughs> the basement. <laughs> However, you'll be pleased to know being fired wasn't actually that bad. Because as you can imagine, by this point, Johnson's made enough connections to secure another Washington job relatively easily. In fact, he does very well here because President Roosevelt had just started to roll out the National Youth Administration, or the NYA. This was a movement aimed at getting more young people educated and into work. So each state would have their own branch of the NYA and they'd just work on getting young people into jobs. Hmm. That sounds good. Now, friends of Johnson, who also knew President Roosevelt, put in a word, and soon enough, Johnson was heading the NYA for Texas. Nice. This is quite the step up from private secretary to a congressman. 
yeah. Yeah, this is a huge promotion. The networking he has been doing has worked perfectly. He does not get this job because of his abilities. He gets it because he knows the right people. Um, but to his credit, he throws himself into the work and to all accounts does very well. Uh, many young people were helped, apparently. Um, it was noted that black and white people were helped roughly equally, which for Texas at this time was uh, unusual. Bloody good. Uh, yeah. yeah. However, it must be said, the person who was helped most of all by the NYA in Texas was obviously Johnson himself. Yeah. Yes. Um, not only did this open up even more networking, uh, but he was also given a staff of about 40 people, and uh, they soon became the engine for his future political successes. A lot of these 40 people stayed with him for a long time. Oh. Uh, despite the fact that Johnson, now he was in charge of other people, developed a certain management style, shall we say. Did he hire lots of women? No, no, he was... Well, well, we'll get to that. Not what I'm referring <laughs> to right now, though. No, no his, uh, his management style was to be a utter... <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, they, he, he would just bully people, cajole people. He would not let things go. Uh, he expected people, if they were working for him, they were going to work. There'd be no slacking oh. under him, damn it. Uh, he was a hard taskmaster, shall we say. He gained a reputation for being very sharp with people for not suffering fools gladly. He would let you know if he wasn't happy with very cutting remarks. But it was all planned. It wasn't that he was hugely hot-headed. It was a strategy to just yes, make I mean, people this, work hard. <laughs> this is later on in life, so it's obviously something he develops over time. But uh, by the time he's president, there is a case where he rips into someone, makes them feel utterly awful and then when they leave the office he then says to the people who stayed oh it's perfect time to give him his birthday present you should always give people things when they're at their lowest because they feel more grateful wow so yeah it's it, it's calculating he yeah he decided the best way to get things out of people was to drive them hard so that's what he did <laughs> anyway it doesn't sound like working for him was particularly fun but it must be said, apparently he did a good job. He was doing so well at heading up the Texan NYA that the president soon learnt his name. The Texan branch seemed to be doing the best in the entire country. And then, for the second time, something happens that changes his life. Someone dies again. JFK. No, no, again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> again, it's a congressman for the district that he's in. It's all dead man's shoes for him. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, Johnson was not a forerunner whatsoever. He wasn't even a runner. No one was thinking of Johnson for this position at all, apart from Johnson. Hmm. He contacted one of the congressmen that he had become friends with in Washington, a man named Alvin Wirtz. Now, Alvin Wirtz was 20 years his senior, and the two had got on really well in a sort of father-son-mentor-mentee kind of relationship. And Wirtz decides, yeah, you know what, Johnson, go for it. I think you should give it a go. Hmm. However, a slight problem, like I say, no one's thinking of Johnson whatsoever, uh, so how's he going to get ahead in this race? What can he do to stand out? Um, new hairstyle. Uh, yes, Mohican. Yeah. It was uh, dyed pink, it was very good. Uh, yeah. But on top of that, they decide what Johnson's going to do is attach his horse to the Roosevelt wagon. I assume, not literally, but maybe literally. I, I, I think Roosevelt literally had a wagon. Yeah. Now, not everyone in the party was happy with the New Deal uh, and the way that Roosevelt was taking the party to the left and more progressive wing. So there are a lot of people who 
would not like the fact that Johnson was going to very vocally become a Roosevelt supporter. But Wirtz and Johnson realised that, you know what, the New Deal is going down very well with the public at the moment, so let's just do that. Let's say I'm the candidate that is fully behind Roosevelt, and Roosevelt loves me. Makes sense to do that. Yeah. Did it matter if Johnson agreed with all of the policies? No, no. He would just say whatever needs to be done to get in. Now, a slight problem with this. It's all very well saying Roosevelt loves me, but does Roosevelt love him? Hmm. Okay, well, what can we do about that? How about we get Roosevelt's son, Elliot, to endorse Johnson? See, if I was Johnson, I'd just ask for a hug. Roosevelt, do you love me? Big public hug. Massive. Not even public, Just he just needs to know it himself. Oh, right, okay, and then he'd believe. No, well, they decide yeah. not to go. I mean, Roosevelt's a busy man, it's not going to work, so they go for his son instead. If <laughs> if Roosevelt's son endorses me, that's essentially an endorsement from the president, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. Um, how are we going to get Elliot Roosevelt to endorse you, Johnson, they What does Elliot like? You find uh, what he likes. Elliot likes $5,000, it turns out. That's cheaper than I'd have expected. I mean, this is... Back then. It's, I mean, it's a lot of cash, don't get me wrong, but you could have asked for $20,000. Well, you could have done. This uh, obviously also is highly illegal. I mean, you could argue that, yeah. Yeah, you can't just pay the sons of presidents for endorsements. Well, it turns out you can. Oh, yeah, no, no, you, you can. You can also just start giving out cash to people who are going to vote for you. <laughs> Really? Mm, yeah, I mean, it was dressed up slightly <laughs> more than that. It was dressed up as a payout to farmers uh, that was... Right. But, yeah, let's just say a <laughs> little bit dodgy, shall we? A little bit dodgy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it works. He gets 28% of the vote, which doesn't sound like much, but there were eight others standing, so he actually... Oh. Yeah. He He's actually gets... Yeah, he actually does very well here, and he is elected... He's just over the age of 30. He's in the House of Representatives. That's quite impressive. Very impressive. Although, is that good democracy when only barely a quarter wanted you in? Yeah, and also you cheated to get in. Well, yeah. I mean, let's, <laughs> let's not dwell on such minutiae. Let's, let's, yeah, <laughs> let's not dwell on that. We'll, we'll dwell on other things later instead. Uh, anyway, he's in <laughs> Congress now, but not as a typical first-termer. Because, obviously, he already knows most of the people who work there. He's True. also got the attention of the president, who soon met him after this and was very impressed by the drive of the young man. Mm. He is not a normal first-termer. Uh, in fact, having such backers meant that he was able to push things through that most first-termers would not usually manage. He was able to obtain more government money for his district than most thought possible. Wow. Some people claimed that he won more from Congress in that term than any other congressman. I couldn't find out whether that was true or not, but you get the impression he's doing well. Yeah. Now, amongst many other things, one of the things that he was most uh, proud of himself for, that he made sure that some dams were built near his hometown. So, yay, <laughs> they get electricity at last. Yeah. And we're yeah. getting flooded, like, every three months. We need a dam. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So no more flooding. Electricity. Lots of roads and things like that as well. So there we <gasps> go. Because yeah. there's no flooding now, they can take the roads off stilts. Yay, which is great. As I yeah, so, uh, Johnson's doing so well, in fact, that various backers start to take an interest in this rising star. Backers or people that want to give money? Well, yes, yes, people yeah. who want to give him money. They want to give him a lot of money, in fact. <laughs> I'm listening. Yes, I mean, don't don't ask why. Uh, just, we're going to give you all this cash. Mm. Who, who knows, maybe sometime in the future, maybe... You could throw us a bone. Yeah, I'm, we're not paying for things. We live in a democracy, but... 
you know. It's a gift. It's just a gift. It's a gift, yeah. Uh, one of the biggest ones was a construction firm called Brown and Root, uh, who uh, made sure he got a lot of money. This is a start of a partnership that would last his entire political career. Um, and as we will see in the next episode, uh, will lead to some problems. Uh, but for now, Johnson's loving life. He found that what he liked more than anything was wielding power. Uh, like I say, hard taskmaster still. Those working for him still were expected to work longer and harder than anyone else. But he's having a great time. He's also really enjoying the booze. Drinking very heavily by this point. Uh, mm. And he's also enjoying a love for the ladies. What about Ladybird? Well, it is debatable. Who was the worst womanizer between John F. Kennedy and Al B. Johnson? Wow. But just know that they were both at it all their lives. One day, and we're going a bit into the future, so I'm jumping out of the um, the chronology, but just so you get a sense here. Uh, one day later in life, when someone mentioned Kennedy's successes with the ladies, Johnson banged on a table and declared that he had had more women by accident than Kennedy had had on purpose. I can't say I know what that means. but uh... I, just, I just hope that was in a, on, on the Christmas dinner. I, I, yeah, it Lady was, Bird next to him, family uh, all around. <laughs> it w- would not surprise me. Yeah, that, there's little concrete evidence as to when Johnson started to have all the many, many affairs that he had. There's even less concrete evidence when he started to do things like groping all the women that worked for him. Well, that's just what he did back then. It's, well, it's, it's, it's innocent, yeah. right? Yeah, of course well, it was. was expected. Yeah, uh, I think it's easy to assume that it started early if he hadn't been doing it his whole life. So um, yeah. I'm not going to stop the narrative every time that someone has since pointed out that they had witnessed Johnson sexually assault a staffer in a car or in the office, because that's not fun, is it? Uh, no. But just know that going on in the background for the rest of this and the next episode, he is doing that. Have you watched Mad Men? Not all of it, but yes. Yeah, no, I've, I'm playing series two with it, and I've, I've now got that image in my head. See, interesting you say this, because obviously we're talking similar time period here, yeah, and yeah. Johnson is compared to those who became really big on uh, Wall Street? No, what's, what's the advertising street? Madison, Madison Avenue. Oh, that's why it's called Mad Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is compared to that, uh, as we'll see another time. But yes, you're, you're very much in the right kind of area yeah. there. We're not yeah. quite there yet, but we're, we're touching. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're getting I'm there. Guessing... I'm guessing this is in the 40s? Oh, we're we're talking late 30s. Late 30s, okay. Yeah. So, like I say, I'm not going to go into all the minutiae of the horribleness that um, was his attitude towards women. However, uh, we do get a clear picture of his first major affair, uh, which starts at this time. Because there was a wealthy Texan called Marsh. Uh, Marsh was one of Johnson's biggest financial backers at the time. And Marsh had a young secretary who caught his eye. She became his mistress. Mm. Now, soon after this, she also caught the eye of Johnson, and the two became involved. Uh, This was a young lady called Alice Glass, and apparently she was very intelligent, very sophisticated, very beautiful. Johnson soon went beyond his usual fling and just apparently completely fell in love with her. Now, two problems here. Obviously, the first one, (laughs) fidelity to his wife, Lady Bird. Um, But what Johnson probably found more worrisome, because... This certainly isn't the first affair he would have had. It's just the first one he was serious about. Um, yeah, uh, what if Marsh found out? Mm. Because Alice isn't... Glass was Marsh's mistress. Uh, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah, and also his financial backer. I mean, that's not good, is it? He could 
potentially lose a lot of financial backing here, his career would take a serious hit. Uh, but apparently he was so smitten by Alice that he was willing to take this risk. And it would appear that the risk paid off. According to Marsh's daughter later in life, Marsh did indeed find out about this, and the two men had a huge argument, but then Johnson apologised, and they just decided to put the whole thing behind them. And Johnson continued to see Alice for yeah. several years after this. Right. So, there you go. So that's what his personal life is looking like at the moment. And Just then, a big mess. Well, sort of, but he seems to yeah. be having a good time because he obviously doesn't have things like scruples. Um, <laughs> and then, something happened that changed the course of his life. Somebody died. Someone dies. This JFK. Time a, no, this time oh. it's a senator. <laughs> one day I'll get that right. You'll get that right one day, you will. <laughs> yeah, it was a senator this time. And once again, Johnson decides to run. He's not going to be in the House. I mean, who wants to be a congressman? You want to be a senator. That's where the, yeah. the real action is. Yeah. So he's going to go to become a senator. Yet again, he is not a forerunner. He is not being considered. Now, the forerunner was a bombastic outsider. This was the current governor of Texas, a man named Pappy O'Daniel. Oh, was he oh. also a singer? He was also a singer. He was not a politician. <laughs> he was a man who had come to prominence in Texas after writing music for his job advertising flower. Yeah. <laughs> As in, like, by plane. <sighs> um... Well, I think that's what was happening before, but Papio Daniel and his very outgoing personality decided he was just going to sing with his band, the Hillbilly Band, and uh, just sing lots of nice, happy songs such as Pass the Biscuit, Pappy. Uh, <laughs> and then people will go, oh, biscuits, flour, yeah, let's buy some. Uh, this oh, yeah. is obviously the song that I played right at the start, and I was going to play yeah. it to you now so you could hear some of it, but you've already heard it. Yes, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could pretend I haven't heard it. No, no, it's wow, fine. Wow, that song's great, Rob. That's oh, amazing. That's good. That's good. I mean, oh, I'll put okay. a little bit on again for the, the listeners so they know what this music is like. So, here it is. I like my music, good old mountain music, played by the real hillbilly band. I like bread and biscuits, big white fluffy biscuits. My dear old ma just makes them grand. We like to sing and play and try to make folks happy. We hope you say, please pass the biscuits, Pappy. I like mountain music, good old mountain music, played by the real hillbilly band. There it was. So, nice. Yeah. Um, so, Pappy O'Daniel loved nothing more than being famous. He'd become relatively wealthy because of his uh, success with his work. So he used that money to campaign to become the Texan governor mm. in a way that completely stomped the Democratic Party that he claimed to be part of. I mean, he, yeah. he wasn't part of the Democratic Party. He just needed to say he was a member of one of the parties to run. Well, yeah. And uh, he chose the Democratic Party, and the Democrats didn't really know what to do about this because <laughs> he kept riding up and down Texas on the back of a, a, a truck um, singing songs and saying he'd make a great governor. Uh, he had no interest in politics. He preferred campaigning to running the actual office when he was in the office. I don't know if this is reminding you of anyone. He would give speeches where he would just, every now and again, just start singing. Why not? Very popular songs at the time was, obviously, Please Pass the Biscuits, Pappy. But another one, I couldn't find this one, The Boy Who Never Gets Too Big to Comb His Mother's Hair. It's a classic. It's a classic. It doesn't sound creepy at all. No, not at no, all. No, no. So, <laughs> so um, Papio Daniel's going for it. 
And he is very popular in Texas. Because if you're going to choose between someone who can represent your state in the Senate because they know the ins and outs of political life, or someone who knows how to sing a good song, I mean, it's an obvious choice, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Johnson and those around him who decide Johnson's going to go for Senate, uh, they have a meeting. They decide once again, how, how on earth can we beat this opponent who is far more popular? By the way, Johnson's only got 5% in a poll they did at the start of this. Ah, right. Yeah, it's, he's, he's not doing well. So how is he going to beat Papio Daniel? Write his own song. Oh, he totally should have done. He totally should have done. I'm better than Papio Donnell. I'm better than Papio Donnell. I'm better than Papio Donnell. I'm better. He just did that for like an hour. Until someone said, oh, oh, Daniel? Are you talking about Papio Daniel? Oh, damn it. <laughs> That's how it went. Yeah. So, um, no, they, they, they're not going to change the strategy from last time. He's just going to keep talking about how new, the New Deal is great and how brilliant Roosevelt is. Uh, by this point, Roosevelt was willing to endorse him personally, although not officially because he shouldn't be getting involved in this kind of thing. Well, but when reporters yeah. said things like, do you think Johnson would make a good senator for Texas? Roosevelt said things like, I couldn't possibly comment, but yes. <laughs> uh, oh, don't make me choose. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, paraphrasing slightly there, but essentially that was what was going on. Now, with the right backing, including the subtle notes from the president, Johnson yeah. is indeed soon a forerunner, along with Pappy. And the election goes down to the wire. On the night of the election, with 96% of the votes counted... Johnson was declared winner by 5,000 votes, is which is quite, not many. Uh, no, is that, that's, quite a, I was gonna say that's, quite, that's quite a narrow margin. That's incredibly narrow. However, the Pappy side controlled enough counties that they had purposely withheld the count in those counties until the very end. Now, remember, 96% of the count was counted when Johnson was declared the winner because they could see which way the trend was going. So it was obvious that there's no way Pappy's going to catch up. However, once Johnson's team had declared that they had won, I mean, this is clearly happening, we've yeah. sent in all our votes now, there's no way he's going to catch up with that last 4%. <laughs> this is an obvious Johnson win. Wow, yeah. Pappy's team then went about finding the 5,000 votes that would need it in the last 4%. Weird, that. Now, in other words... Making up votes obviously is bad, so if you're going to do it, you want to make up the smallest number possible. Yeah. If you're going to cheat in an election, you don't want to cheat big. You want to cheat just enough. Yeah? So it's handy to know how many votes you're going to need to fabricate. So therefore, they kept some of the counties that they controlled behind. So once they knew how many votes Johnson had, they could find the votes. So I'm getting days. flashbacks to Ar is, oh, was it Arkansas, Alabama. What was 2020? With uh, Trump, who went to a state and said, you need to find me these votes, kind of thing. Oh, yes. Oh, which state was it? The state's completely escaped me, but yes, yes, exactly. It's the whole find the votes thing. Yeah, so days after Johnson had been declared victor, Pappy's count suddenly came out on top. Johnson loses. Oh, that's, that's okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Pappy wins because democracy. <laughs> now, Johnson apparently takes this in his stride. I mean, he knew his time was, would come. It was a long shot winning this anyway. He'd done actually really quite well. I mean, yeah. uh, arguably he won. Because, 
he probably won. But never mind, let's go back to Washington. Most importantly, he's learned a thing or two about campaigning. Let's see if that comes back. Now, by this time, World War II was hotting up and Pearl Harbor happened. Short version of that. <laughs> Uh, Johnson had been on the side of Congress that was pushing to build up troops and get involved in the war, and Pearl Harbor meant that the isolationist movement collapsed. Johnson was able to pull the I told you so, um, which is always good. It also meant that he had to act in a way that he had promised during the campaign that he'd been oh. on recently, because he told everyone that if the United States entered the war, he would sign up for active duty. So he's got to sign up for war duty. Oh, yes. Due to connections, he was given a position. What position do you think he was given? The highest position possible for his <laughs> job choice. Pretty much. He became a lieutenant commander in the Naval Reserve. Excellent. Now, because he said Reserves. he was going to, well, because he said he was going to sign up for active duty, he then formally asked to be placed on active duty with his own fleet. After all, he was a lieutenant commander. Well, of course, yeah. Now, obviously, this was never going to happen. Johnson hadn't got a clue at all what to do leading a fleet. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. Instead, he was given an office job. He was put in charge of expanding war production on the West Coast and in Texas. That's more his speed. That's probably the best outcome for him. Yes, definitely. Now, a He's lot good at managing of... and good at organising. So well, exactly. That... And a lot of this job actually meant going to parties and hobnobbing with businessmen and film stars and quite often sleeping with those film stars. So he was having a good time. Yeah. Uh, Lady Bird less so, but he was having a good time. Yeah. Um, after a while, however, he worried that this might not look quite like active duty during the war. Um <laughs> I mean, he you did know. say active duty. He didn't say, don't worry, if we fight the Nazis, I'm just going to sleep around Hollywood instead of going on active duty. So he decides he he needs, for, his, for the good of his future career, he needs to make sure he gets some active service done during the war. Otherwise, it's not going to look out good afterwards. So he asks the president yeah. for a favour. Yes, that's how high he's risen so quickly. He's now able to just contact the president and ask for a favour. In fact, you make him say, hey, Prez... Yeah, yeah. I'm getting a bit tired of having sex with all the film stars. Can you send me yeah. off to the wall, please? Um, now, Roosevelt understood, of course. Fair enough. Here, have a um, have a cushy job that puts you in the active war zone. Will that do? That will do nicely, says uh, Johnson. What do I need to do? Well, you need to go to Australia and you need to visit General MacArthur and let me know what he's up to. Because General MacArthur's in charge of the Pacific Theatre of War and... Uh, Roosevelt just wants some eyes on the ground. Yeah. I'd be great he's at my wedding. So, so. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So, Johnson hops on a plane, goes off to Pearl Harbor, then off to New Zealand, and then arrives in Australia. Quite the adventure for him. Once there, he gets a very frosty reception from MacArthur, who assumed mm. that uh, Johnson was just a spy for Roosevelt, because he was a spy for Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah. Still, by this point... Johnson's charms had really honed, honed themselves into a, a brash, larger-than-life persona. One person later said that he wasn't just vulgar, but he was barnyard. Uh, oh, that's yeah. nice. Apparently he was just as likely to grab you by the shoulder roughly and shake you than give you a handshake by this point. It's just... Nice. Yeah. Um, and apparently MacArthur was soon run round by Johnson. Uh, Johnson very openly is like, yeah, I'm here to see what's going on. But you know what, MacArthur, 
I, when I get back to Washington, will be your advocate for prioritising the Pacific theatre over the European one. Why are Europe <laughs> getting all the good stuff and not you? Yes, Sorry, I'm reporting back to Roosevelt. Of course I'm reporting back to Roosevelt, but I'm willing to say what you want me to say. So by doing that, MacArthur was suddenly more than happy for Johnson to be around. However... Johnson needed one thing whilst he was over there, because it's not really good enough just to go to Australia and have a chat with MacArthur. No. He really needs to see some action. So he pestered MacArthur until eventually he was allowed to ride along in a squadron of bombers who were heading to a Japanese airbase on the north coast of New Guinea. So this is an actual bombing raid, and he's going to go along. Oh, wow, that's quite, um, that's quite a big thing. Yeah, I mean, this certainly is not without risks. The average survival rate on these missions was around 75%. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, this is not a, oh, well, I'll just see something from a distance. This is, like, it's really rolling the dice here. Mm. Uh, And, ooh, it really was, because on June the 9th in 1942, he was led across the tarmac and he got on a B-26 bomber. Ooh. He was just about to strap himself in when nerves got to him slightly, so he announced that he needed to go to the toilet first. So, he gets off the bomber, heads off to the toilet, relieves himself, calms himself down. He's got to do this. He heads back to the plane. When he gets on the plane, though, there's another person in his seat. Someone else who's along for the ride, another observer. Oh, Damn it. Oh, I was so hoping. I, but my seat's taken. There's another one here. So no, no, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> well, that was a... my chair. I bought that seat, paid good money for I'm, I'm off. Well, I'm it's, off. It, it's not quite that because the other observer grins at Johnson and says, well, you're just going to have to get in another plane, aren't you? Which Johnson then does. He gets off the plane and finds oh. another bomber. Oh, fair enough. Goes to the pilot. Don't suppose you've got space in your plane. They did. So on he goes. Damn it. Yeah, the planes all take off, and the raid very quickly starts going very wrong. The Japanese were far more prepared than the United States thought they were to be. And uh, the plane that Johnson had originally got on to, but then got off just because his bladder was full, was hit (laughs) very early on, burst into a ball of flames, killing all on board. If Johnson hadn't gone to the toilet, he would be dead. Johnson's plane was hit by a strafe of bullets and one of the engines was lost. So it was forced to drop its load early, turn back, being riddled with bullets as it goes. So dangerous stuff. Um, Apparently Johnson was very calm throughout all this. He kept a cool head. Um, But obviously he's just there as as an observer. He's not doing anything. He has just sat in the plane. But it must have been terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the plane lands and Johnson meets with MacArthur. And MacArthur promises Johnson a silver star for courage under fire. What? Something that really annoys most of the other men, because Johnson's the only person to get a medal. Hmm. Hmm. Now, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't want to be in that plane. No. I'm not saying he... I would put myself in that position. I'm not saying he wasn't brave under fire, because... That sounds terrifying. No. But the men who were actually doing this job day in, day out, they got nothing. Uh, Johnson went on one flight. Uh, his plane banked out early, and he gets the medal. So um, a few people were not best pleased about this. No. No. Still, Johnson's got his war story, so there you go. He figured it's probably time to go home now. Um, <laughs> right, done. 
<clears throat> Coincidentally, uh, Roosevelt asked for all members of Congress on extended leave to return home. Perfect. Fantastic. Uh, four members of Congress resigned and stayed to fight. Johnson and three others headed straight back home. <laughs> yes, of course, Mr. President. <laughs> yes. Duty calls. <laughs> he arrived back in the United States to find a very annoyed ladybird. Uh, apparently, some idiot with a camera in Australia had been filming Johnson for a newsreel and had caught him with a very attractive lady on his arm. When Ladybird asked who was that woman you were with in Australia, Johnson just refused to talk about it. Uh, He'd certainly managed to find some time to entertain himself whilst he was in the Pacific Theatre of War. Maybe in the plane. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, things are not going well for Ladybird at this point because she has her second miscarriage at this time. And she also is very angry that Johnson had vetoed the purchase of a house. She wanted a new house. It was her money that was going to buy the house because <laughs> she's the one who comes from a rich family. But Johnson said, no, waste of money, we don't need it. Yeah. Uh, however, after being caught having a fling with someone in Australia... Um, of course, my dear, what could have you on the bedroom? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. <laughs> the house is bought. Uh, there you go. He caves. Ladybird is moderately happy for a while, but obviously not happy because he is an awful husband. Yeah. Right. Anyway, the war progresses. Uh, things eventually start to go well. It looks increasingly like the Allies are going to win. And then Roosevelt dies. This was a big blow to Johnson. After all, he had hitched his horse on the Roosevelt wagon so firmly that he feared that losing Roosevelt would damage him politically. So he had to decide what to do. Now, looking at the political climate, especially in Texas, Johnson decided that maybe it was time to move more to the right of the party, or at least to the moderate centre of the party. Truman, the new president, was doing that, as were a number in the Democrats. He figured that this would keep him relevant. He didn't want to be on the progressive fringe that was losing traction anymore. No. No. So to make sure people got the message, he started coming down very hard on the strikes that were starting to pop up. Uh, he voted against a bill that would help give equal rights to black people uh, in a move to appeal to the growing segregationists in his district. Um, yeah, he, he's very rapidly moving away from this progressive stance that he had before. Uh, because... He decided this would make him more popular. Mm. Uh, this was in the post-war era, full of Red Scare, race riots and strikes. And it's in this era that Johnson decides again to run for Senate. He's determined to become a senator. Mm. Now, this time, he's up against a man called Coke Stevenson. <laughs> name matches his addiction. It's cool. I, Coke is a brilliant name. Uh, now... Johnson, yes, had moved to the right from where he was, but like I say, that more made him a moderate in the party. Uh, Coke Stevenson was far-right conservative in the party. Right. Full-on card-carrying racist who once remarked about lynchings that, and I quote here, Negroes sometimes do things which provoke whites to such violence. Blame the victims. Yeah, nice man was Coke. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Coke Stevenson had helped Papio Daniel in the last campaign. So the fight was bitter once again. Now, Johnson realised that he needed uh, to do something different this time. He couldn't use Roosevelt and the New Deal anymore. That ship had sailed. Yeah. So what can I do to um, fight against someone like Coke Johnson? Well, let's appeal to the racists. So at this time, he gives several speeches supporting white supremacy because he knows it's going to go down yeah. well. 
Yeah. Despite this, however, Johnson loses. Really? He came second out of three people running. However, no one had won an out-and-out majority. Coke Stevenson came first, Johnson second, the third person. Third, obviously. Now, under the rules in Texas here, that meant a runoff election had to happen. Top two went head-to-head. So, just went to the next round, basically. It's Coke versus Johnson. And this time, Johnson had learned his lesson. Hmm. In the counties that he controlled, they kept the count back. And in a mirror of last time, Coke was declared the winner by a mere 322 votes out of nearly a million votes cast. And then all of a sudden, days later... Oh, look what we found. What's this under this rock here? Oh, it's 449 votes for Johnson. (laughs) Including 202 votes from just one county, where all the votes had been written down using the same pen with the same handwriting, and all the names were in alphabetical order. (laughs) I mean, this was flagrant uh, cheating. It's complete electoral fraud. Uh, But Johnson wins. Because, again democracy yes now obviously coke's not gonna like take this line down so he goes to the democratic executive committee and goes oh no 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 no! he's he's cheated this is obvious fraud a long meeting takes place and it was decided that johnson had indeed won by 87 votes out of nearly a million wow yeah, they struck off some of the more obvious fraudulent ones, but apparently yeah. had just enough. <laughs> See, even though it's the same handwriting, different coloured pen. <laughs> yes. But and they're clearly, clearly different names. There's A. Smith, B. Smith, C. Smith. A. <laughs> A. Smith. A. B. Smith. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways... Uh, Coke Stevenson still appeals this, and it goes all the way to the Supreme Court. Oh, wow. Um, but Johnson had friends in high places by this time. Words were had in corridors and in meeting words over brandy, and sure enough, the decision was made to uphold the obvious fraudulent results. Because again, and I can't stress this enough, democracy. <laughs> so there you go, Johnson's in the Senate. Well done, Johnson. Hmm. He cheated his way into the Congress. He cheats his way into the Senate. Excellent. Excellent. There we go. So how Uh, does he become vice president? (laughs) Well, we'll find out. Um, (laughs) Now, what's in the Senate? Johnson may have found that he was in a little pond, or a smaller pond anyway, uh, but he was now surrounded by big fish. First thing he tries to do is get some big offices by doing his usual being very bossy. Um, but he's just told to get lost. So I don't know who you think you are, first term senator, yeah. you very young person still. So he realises, oh no, he's become a bit too big for his boots. He needs to pull back a bit and think, what, what did he do when he first started uh, Congress? He sucked up. He went on the charm offensive. So that's what to do again. Let's just start that again. And he soon finds the perfect senator. This was a very prominent bachelor named Richard Russell of Georgia. Johnson and Lady Bird made sure to shower Richard Russell with praise every time they saw him, invited him round for dinner. Um, Soon enough, Richard Russell, huge supporter of Johnson. So there you go. He's got a prominent senator as a friend. That's good. But he didn't stop there, though. He spent most of his spare time learning about the other senators, cozying up to them, getting to know what they liked. Yeah. But that was not the only person Johnson was cozying up to, because this second major affair in his life is now up and running. Uh, This is Helen Douglas, 
who was an ex-film star and opera singer, and now was a congresswoman from California. That's right, a woman, Jamie, being a politician. What? I know, crazy, isn't it? They'll be driving next. (laughs) We're finally, finally starting to get somewhere, Jamie. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Now, apparently, Helen Douglas was uh, infatuating. Johnson could not help but brag about this affair, because... Apparently she was so great, he just wanted everyone to know that he'd managed to get with Helen Douglas. Uh, So this was soon an open secret in Washington. Everyone knew it. This did nothing to hinder his career, obviously, (laughs) because Mm. why would it? He was soon put in an important position on the Senate Armed Service Committee, which was uh, an important committee. But then he was selected to be the majority whip. Now, that means his job was to know exactly where all the votes would fall and make sure that certain senators voted the right way. Is that what uh, what a whip does? Yes. They crack the whip. As in people tell you how they're going to vote? Yes. What if they tell you a lie? Say, yeah, I'll definitely vote for this. Well, the the whole point behind a whip is to get the party to work in unison so they've got more power. Because if everyone in your party is just doing what they want, you lose power. So the idea behind the whip is to keep everyone in control. Yeah, but is it done with threats? Or is it done with encouragement? Or I'm asking both. That's a stupid question. I know it's stupid. Well, it depends who the whip is. I mean, some whips use the carrots, some use the stick. Uh, Johnson beat people with carrots by the sounds of it. (laughs) Uh, Whole donkeys. Yeah, this is the perfect job for him. He could use his charm to convince people to vote a certain way, and failing that, he could just bully them into submission. Mm. Uh, He knew everything about everyone. And he was not afraid to get up into people's faces and make sure they did the right thing. Um, Yeah, he is perfect at this job. He does very well at it. Uh, Then, in 1952, the Democrats lose the Senate, which is very irresponsible of them. Took them ages (laughs) to find again. (laughs) Was it under the fridge? Uh, Sofa. Ah. Yeah, the current Democratic leader in the Senate lost his seat. That's how badly they did. So the Democrats need a new Senate leader. Well, who better than the person who's doing the whip job incredibly well? Mm. So Johnson's chosen. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm rushing through this a bit. Several years have gone by here. Um, yeah. As you can see, we're already in 52. But as per usual, when they're sitting in Washington doing jobs in the Senate, uh, there's not that many interesting stories. But just know he's doing very well. Now, obviously, he is the minority leader because the Democrats don't control the Senate. But... Yeah. Minority leader is a good stepping stone. Uh, Johnson does the job well, but it's two years after this, when the Democrats win the Senate back, that things really start to hot up for him. Because now he's the Senate majority leader. That means he is the most powerful person in the legislative branch of government. So he's the Nancy Pelosi? Yes, that's exactly what he is. There we go. Now, once again, Johnson, in his element, he was soon seen as a puppet master, pushing and pulling the Senate to his will. Uh, This is where, often in the papers, he was compared to those on Madison Avenue, of just being being able to completely dominate his field. Um, He was very active as a majority leader, ruling the Democrats with brute force as well as brash charm. Uh, he literally shook people, he put his arms around people, he stuck his face in the, over people's faces, he even kicked people in the shins when he was convincing other senators which way to vote. 
there are reports of senators going to other senators, lifting up their trousers, going, look what (laughs) he's just done to me. I need to vote this way. (laughs) I've just been Johnson. Oh, well, yeah, no, this was called the Johnson treatment. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, uh, apparently, uh, according to one person, the Johnson treatment could last anywhere between 10 minutes and four hours. Oh. And he would do anything that would get you to agree with him. He would just berate you for hours on end, or he'd cozy up to you. He would tell stories. He would shout at you. He'd joke with you. Anything he thought would work, he would just <laughs> relentlessly just keep going. And apparently, if you were there, you, you weren't able to speak because it was just a nonstop barrage of whatever methods being used. It was just nonstop in your face. Uh, he'd literally get right up into people's faces. And you uh, just and- know if you turn up with a bag of carrots, you're screwed. Yeah, exactly. Um, So he's doing a very good job. Uh, I mean... Oh, good is relative. People are a bit nervous to be around the guy, but he was seen to be doing a very good job as a majority leader. The Democrats were forced to be reckoned with in the Senate because of this. Uh, One of the major battles in this time as majority leader was against the far right wing of the Republican Party, increasingly being led by McCarthy, because obviously we've hit the McCarthy era here. Yeah, we have. Now, I'm not going to go into this detail because obviously we've covered it before, but most of the senators were too scared to go up against McCarthy. But as it became clear to the public that McCarthy was just a lying bully, Johnson was able to get the Senate to move against the populist. So this was chalked up as a win for Johnson. But just as he seemed to be doing so well that people started using the word presidential whilst talking about him, he had a heart attack. Ooh, that's a, that's a bugger. Yeah, now to begin with, Johnson just ignored the warning signs and just carried on <laughs> with his day. It's uh, a bit no, heartburn. Not, not, well, yes, essentially, yeah. Eventually, though, a friend noticed how much he was sweating and exclaimed, My God, man, you're having a heart attack. It's like, no, 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 my left arm is numb. <laughs> and if my heartbeat's irregular. That's not a heart attack. It's just right arm that's an O. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, his friend called the doctor. Uh, now, Johnson obviously didn't want news of this to get out. He didn't want this to be happening. Uh, if he has a heart attack, people will think he's weak and therefore not presidential. Uh, but he was overruled. It's like, seriously, man, you're going to die unless we call the doctor. We're calling the doctor. So, the doctor arrives. A annoyed Johnson asks whether he would be able to smoke again. Well, yeah, even in Mad Men, when one of them had a heart attack, they'd probably smoke less. So I guess at this point it was seen as a... Well, yes, exactly. Uh, The doctor replied, no, you can't smoke, seriously. (laughs) To which Johnson replied, I'd rather have my pecker cut off, which uh, obviously means a lot to Johnson. Not sure if he was being serious there. Uh, What was serious, though, was the heart attack. I mean, Johnson was not treating it seriously to begin with, but the doctor soon convinced him, no, no, this is... We're talking survival rate is 50-50 here. It is a toss of a coin whether you're going to die. Stop okay. Stop moving about. Get in bed. <laughs> this is serious. <laughs> Lie down. Yeah. yeah. So, over four days in hospital, things would touch and go. But Johnson pulls through, eventually being well enough to head back to his ranch in Texas to recover. I mean, I mean, we kind of know that because, I mean, spoiler warning, he may become president. Well, exactly. So, it, it's, it's not that much suspense there. But... I wonder what kills him, though. <laughs> we'll find out Um, anyway Johnson spends the rest of the year uh, just falling into a pit of despair really it's like his career's over he was doing so well 
but no mm. one's going to vote for someone who had a heart attack, surely. However, not everything was awful. Uh, his depression was relieved slightly when a new secretary came to work for him on the ranch. <laughs> she was given a room inside the house, one that Johnson regularly snuck off to during the night. Played dominoes, right? Yeah. Uh, she lived in the attic, and he was told, no uncertain terms, you do not climb the stairs, your heart's weak. So... Sure enough, most nights he'd climb all the stairs up into the Arctic, and I can only assume <laughs> played some vigorous Scrabble. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But this didn't kill him, so I uh, can only make him stronger, I suppose. Uh, Lady Bird, obviously also living in the same house, was apparently not happy. As you can imagine. Eventually, though, Johnson decided, actually, you know what, maybe this wasn't the end of his career. I mean, by this point, like, presidents had had heart attacks oh, yeah. and carried on. It's like, actually, maybe this isn't a career death sentence, so... Some had passed their jaw removed on a rickety boat. Well, exactly, although no one knew that at this point. No. That was still a secret. But uh, still, supporters of Johnson would turn up in the House and they'd soon hatch a plan in the upcoming primaries. Let's see if you can get elected as president, shall we? Uh, here's the idea... Supporters of Johnson would run in the primaries in an attempt to create a deadlock. And then Johnson would be a compromise candidate like we've seen before. Yeah. So that, that was their plan. However, long story short, this falls apart almost immediately. It just doesn't work. But it does show that Johnson is already looking to become president at this point. So because that doesn't work, he soon decides he is well enough to return as majority leader in the Senate. So it's back to work he goes. Now, by this time, the civil rights movement is really hotting up. Martin Luther King has become a prominent figure. And there's really a, a real push starting for better, if not equal, rights for black people. Johnson ever the weather vane, realised that actually maybe this is time to move away from the segregationists and uh, start pushing for civil rights because they seem to be quite popular. Let's pretend I didn't do those white supremacy speeches before. Um, do you remember when I was a progressive? Oh yes, mm. definitely. Now, obviously, him starting to loudly say things like maybe we should have a civil rights bill uh, upset a lot in his party from the South. Uh, they were going to refuse to budge on anything that forced desegregation. So when a bill is proposed, Johnson decides to abandon anything in the bill that talks about desegregation. Now, obviously, right. this is a main component of the bill. People pushing for civil rights wanted there to be no segregation anymore. Um, Johnson takes one look at it and goes, no, there's no way we're getting this through the Senate. Let's not even try. So he gets rid of that. However, there was one area where he thinks he can make a compromise that might actually get a bill through. This will be the first civil rights bill since the Civil War. So, wow. yeah. So let's, let's try and get this through. What he realised is that there was one section of the bill all about ensuring black people had the right to vote. Now, obviously black people had the right to vote. That was part of the law. Uh, but by this point, there were many loopholes and many states were using those loopholes to uh, make sure black people can vote. So this bill would just close up all the loopholes. Now, the conservative faction of the Democrats did not want this to happen. They feared what would happen if black people could actually vote fairly. I mean, they might not get in anymore. <laughs> so Johnson suggested an amendment to this part of the bill. Those found breaking the law and denying black people the vote would be put on trial by a jury of their peers. 
not just by Ooh. a judge. Now, obviously, Southern Conservatives realised that this could actually work. They could support the bill and avoid being called racist and anti-democratic, but ultimately they could carry on stopping black people voting, safe in the knowledge that no Southern jury made up, obviously, of whites would convict anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So, great things, Johnson. We're going to get a civil rights bill through. However, obviously, this angers all the Northern Liberal wing of the party and anyone back in the civil rights movement, because what's the point of this bill? You've got rid of all the segregation stuff, and now you're you're making the rest of it completely toothless. We might yeah. as well not bother. But then one senator, a man named Church, suggests that maybe, here's an idea, we do the whole jury thing, but we desegregate the juries. Ooh. So we won't talk about desegregation anywhere else, but in this one instance... Juries will be made up of whites and blacks. Compromise. Compromise. Johnson liked this idea and starts thinking it through, and he puts a plan in place. On the day of the debate over the jury amendment, one senator stands up to introduce it, starts talking about this amendment. The idea is that anyone find breaking the law in this area will be tried by a jury of their peers. At this point, another senator stood up and asked to speak, uh, and the original person gave way. This second senator suggested, how about we desegregate the jury to make it fairer? Then a third senator stood up, expressing doubts. Oh, no, this doesn't sound very sensible. And then a full debate, full of logic and very reasonable arguments on all sides took place. And very quickly, the Senate was persuaded. The jury amendment would go through with desegregated juries. The debate, however, had been completely orchestrated from scratch by Johnson. The three senators all knew what each other were going to say. It was a performance put on to say, let's do this. Yeah. Oh, but I disagree. Well, actually, this is why you're wrong. <laughs> I like the idea that they were handed scripts before they went in. I, uh, pretty and much, just, yeah. And pretty much one standing up reading from the script. I disagree that this should happen because... I can't read that word. Yeah, pretty much. Start reading the stage directions. <laughs> Exit. <Yeah>. Filleton. <laughs> sit, oh, it's me. So sit, I'm going to go. Sit down, look defeated. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things Stand like that. up with confidence. <laughs> yeah. Am I confident enough, Johnson? <laughs> Thumbs up from behind the curtain. This, well, this is it. This is exactly the kind of uh, puppets uh, pulling that he, Johnson is doing here. He he controls that Senate. Mm. And a civil rights bill goes through. I mean, wow. it's largely toothless. It's a Let's face it, it's not a good civil rights act. It's, it's a bit pathetic. Many black leading public figures were not at all happy. They felt like this bill had just been ripped to shreds and there was no point in it. It didn't go anywhere near far enough to confront the awful racism that ran throughout the country. But Johnson argued, well, to be fair, this is a first step. He talked about the Senate losing its virginity on civil rights. Now we've That's got a bit forward. This is Johnson. <laughs> this is the way he oh, talks. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this uh, is destroying the flower of segregation. Oh yeah, no, that's the kind of thing Johnson would say, and then probably burp yeah. in your face, scratch his ass, <laughs> and walk off. That's the kind of thing Johnson did. Um, anyway, uh, he he argued that this was the thin end of the wedge. That once we've got this through, well, there we go. Now we can start pushing for other stuff. But we got something through. Um, this was 
uh, by some prominent black figures was seen as a good argument. And okay, maybe he's got a point here. A lot of people still weren't happy, though, and thought Johnson had destroyed the the bill. Um, In retrospect, we can kind of look back and go, okay, this did start to usher through quite a lot of reform. So maybe Johnson had a point. But equally you can see the other side of the argument. If the civil rights Mm. movement had fallen on its face at this point, we could be pointing at Johnson now saying, oh, well, he ruined it when there was a bit of momentum. So uh, either way, however, he's seen as a political wizard. He really is managing to get things done in the Senate that not many people have managed to do before. I mean, the Senate is always, it's tough to get things through the Senate. Always has been. Uh, But things are going through. So by this time, Johnson was seen as a political wizard, and he hoped Mm. that this meant that he'd soon be able to secure the nomination for the next presidential election. However, as covered in Kennedy's episode, the political machine of the Kennedys was in full swing by this point. Johnson struggled, even though he was a political wizard, to compete against the money and connections of the Kennedys. Now, Desperate to stand out against the young, charismatic Kennedy, uh, Johnson challenged JFK to a debate. Do you know what? That's a really good idea for him because, you know, he's, he's good at the old talk. I'm guessing John F. Kennedy said no. Uh, no. Kennedy goes for it. Oh, right. And it does not go well for Johnson. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, much to Johnson's surprise. He thought he had this in the bag. But Kennedy very cleverly heaped praise upon his opponent, um, mm-hmm. saying that Johnson was a brilliant politician, fantastic. He is perfect to be the Senate majority leader. <laughs> Backhanded compliment. Why, why on earth would we take him out of that role? He's doing great things for our party. That, that's, that's a brilliant strategy. Yeah. At uh, least he didn't say he'd be an amazing president. Vote for... Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, Just the rest of Kennedy's head in hands. Oh, yeah, you see, this is a bit later on in Kennedy's uh, political career where he was actually getting quite good at delivering the speeches, not like at the start when his family were mouthing along the words with him. Um, which, yeah. No, no, he's actually done quite well at this point. If you remember that, that's true. That did actually happen. Yeah, that's really yeah. funny. I forgot about that. Um, Anyway, yeah, Johnson's seething. He was not expecting to to lose this debate, and most people said that he had. Um, And then later on in the year, he was visited by none other than Bobby Kennedy. Mm. Bobby wanted to know, look, Johnson, are you running or not? Cards on the table time here. Uh, We want to know. Johnson lied. No, I've decided not to run. So the two then go out shooting. Johnson gave Bobby a (laughs) massive shotgun. There you go. Have a massive shotgun. Uh, The recoil was so much that apparently Bobby ended on the floor with a cut (laughs) eye. Johnson then turned and remarked, Son, you've got to learn to handle a gun like a man. Oh, that's just demasculating, isn't it? Bobby left this not happy with Johnson whatsoever. However, he managed to kill, like, 18 deer. Oh, yeah, it was a very big... Like, cut down 14 trees. <laughs> yeah, it's a very big shotgun. <laughs> Half the farmhouse was gone. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, no, no love lost between Bobby and Johnson. Uh, by the time the convention finally comes round, uh, as we've covered already, Kennedy wins this decisively. It's all sewn up thanks to Daddy's mm. money, essentially. Um, but Kennedy decides, well, actually, why not offer the vice president role to Johnson? I'm seen as a northern liberal, whereas Johnson, I mean, why? Well, who knows what he is, but he's southern for a start. Uh, and yeah, so that'll bring the southerners along. So that will work. 
Uh, and he is very good, so yeah, he can be vice president. Johnson thought about the offer, and even though vice president's not really a real job, it could be a stepping stone. Vice presidents were more likely to become presidents than majority leaders were. Certainly so. if the president gets assassinated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, through back channels, he accepts. This is all happening um, during the convention where the Kennedys yeah. are staying in the hotel and so is Johnson. They're just a few floors apart. Um after he has said, yes, if you offer it to me, I'll accept, uh, Bobby turns up and says, well, how about if you um, just become the head of the Democratic Party instead? Johnson was fuming at this. It's like, well, no, you've just offered me vice presidency. What, yeah. what are you doing now? John Kennedy then has to phone Johnson and go, oh, no, 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 ignore my brother. Um, I didn't know he was going to do that, and he's not up to date with events. Yeah. He's but, an idiot. I'll deal with him in a plane crash. It's fine. <laughs> But um, this this isn't this is obviously not true. There's no way Bobby went with that offer without yeah. um, John F. Kennedy knowing. Seems to suggest that the Kennedys were having second thoughts mm. almost immediately about Johnson being the vice president. But the offer's in now, so you know what? Let's keep him. Yeah, That's fine. It, it's almost if JK is playing with his Johnson. <laughs> exactly, and you don't want to do that. No, not, not when it's so close to an election, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, um, as we have covered, Kennedy scrapes a victory against Nixon and Johnson is sworn in as the vice president and nice. he did his best to gain some power in a role that has none uh, he attempted to increase his role of the vice president in the senate by introducing a new law um, but to no avail his former colleagues in the senate just voted against it fair enough leading Johnson to say I now know the difference between between a cactus and a caucus <laughs> on a cactus all the pricks are on the outside <laughs> nice which i quite like that's quite cool yeah um he also sent a memo he also sent a memo to the president kennedy at this point asking for more power over the government departments asking that the departments report to him as well as kennedy uh kennedy just ignored this and then someone in the White House leaked that memo to the press. Really embarrassing, Johnson. <laughs> so obviously now everyone knew that he'd asked for something and Kennedy had just ignored him. Yeah, not great. So to try and cheer Johnson up, Kennedy says, how about, because when you were like the leader of the Senate, you were really pushing for this new um, NASA thing. Uh, so why don't you head that up now? You can be in charge of NASA. Yeah, it's that little mm. smile I see, Johnson. Yeah, mm. there you go. Mm. You can you can run NASA, um, but also uh, go abroad. Anywhere, just get out get out of the city. Just just go. Just yeah. go go. By go. by this point, tensions were rising between Johnson's men and Kennedy's men. Um, yeah, the the two camps did not see eye to eye, and uh, Kennedy just wanted Johnson out the way for a bit. So quite often, would just send him. To different places. Now, I'm not going to cover all the places he visited at this point. He went to many places, uh, but the two most important visits, uh, the first one was to Berlin, and when he was in Berlin, the wall had just gone up, and Johnson reassured West Germans that the United States were not going to abandon them. It was very firm. The United States were going to be there to help. Uh, the Oh, yeah, and there's a bit of the Berlin Wall you're holding up. Probably. Probably. Who knows whether that's a lie yes. or not. Yep. 
No. Uh, only cost me $15,000. And I'm not going to reveal whether that's a lie or not, because people can listen to our Would I Lie to You episode. Yeah, exactly. Because it features in that. Anyway, um, the, uh, yeah, the second important visit was South Vietnam. Ooh. Yeah, well, if you remember Kennedy's episode... Um, mm things are starting to begin in Vietnam. Kennedy's approach is, I really don't want to get bogged down and involved in Vietnam, but yes, it is important. We will send advisors, lots of advisors with guns. We're, we're not we're not joining yeah. in. We're not, no, yeah. no. One or two might be in tanks. Yeah, maybe, who knows, I mean, but no. That, that one there, he's got like 85 barrels of napalm, but it's, yeah, it's it, fine. He's advisor. an advisor. He's an advisor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, when Johnson's in Vietnam to have a look at how the advisors are doing, uh, he really starts to form an opinion. Uh, the United States even need to throw in the towel in this region, or they need to throw themselves into this region. They need to make a decision here. Mm. Uh, he was not a fan of Kennedy's attempt to have one foot in, one foot out. Yeah, fair enough. Obviously, this is going to have ramifications later. Mm-hmm. But apart from this, Johnson did very little as vice president, as expected, vice presidents. Um, he was in the room when the other decision makers were making decisions during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, but by all accounts, he didn't really contribute to much, apart from to point one thing out, which was that when he was a boy in Texas and a rattlesnake reared its head up, uh, quote, the only thing you could do was to take a stick and chop its head off. Oh, okay. So you get the feeling Johnson was a bit more hardline than uh, Kennedy was. Um, mm. But apart from that little anecdote, apparently he did very little. Yeah. And mm. then something happened that changed the course of Johnson's life. Somebody died. JFK! JFK! There we go. Yes! We got there in the end. Yes, as Kennedy was campaigning in Johnson's home state, whilst Johnson was in the car behind, Kennedy was Bloody shot hell. fatally. In the head, twice. Well, once in the neck, once in the head. Yeah. So we all know what that means. So, so I'm more interested in thinking, like, Johnson must genuinely have a few conflicting emotions here, because this is his dream. Yeah. But at the same time, he's thinking, actually, oh, I just saw that. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's not going to be good, is it? No. Yeah. Do I really want to put that man's suit on? Not literally. <laughs> um, yeah. But there you go. Obviously, Mm. he needs to become president, and uh, we'll cover that next Mm. episode. So there we go. That's that's the start of Johnson. What are your thoughts? (laughs) Not not a fan. Um, he's not coming across well. He's a liar. He's a (laughs) cheater. Um, he's a womanizer. He's uh, yeah, yeah. He has no political beliefs. He is a Weber Ryan. No. He reminds me of Boris Johnson. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we'll see how he is as president. If you remember, we finished the Kennedy episode one with feelings pretty much this negative for different reasons. Um, True. But we did finish very negatively, and uh, Kennedy managed to get Americans. So. But there's reason for that. He prevented nuclear war. Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe. Maybe Johnson does. I'll, I'll climb up to my shelter in the sea. <laughs> Maybe he prevents nuclear war, or maybe he just gets bogged down in a war in Vietnam. Who knows? Who knows? Who, Who knows? could say? But that is for next time. So thank you very yeah. much for listening, everyone. Yeah. And, and if you want um, some uh, for next episode, if you'd like to watch Apocalypse Now, um, yeah. Good Morning Vietnam, 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh, um, Forrest Gump. Yes. Yeah. That would yeah. be good. Yeah, good homework. Watch all the birds. Yeah. Right, okay. Like Thanks for listening, and thank you for following us on Facebook and Twitter. Yes. And Instagram, if you bother, there's no point. We rarely use it, but you know. Yeah, that's all every good. Every now and again. Yeah. Great. Until next time, then. Goodbye. Goodbye. Senator Mahoney, Senator O'Mahoney. Thank you, thank you. Now, obviously, this bill is a very important bill, and I must say that I fully believe that an amendment should be put in place that allows anyone to break the law in this case to be tried by a jury of their peers. Judge? Yeah. I said... By a jury of their peers. Uh, uh, yes. Um, stand up. Will you yield? Y- uh, yes, I will yield. Nod, but look sceptical. Stand in a confident manner. Okay, I believe that n- Negroes being part of a jury is terrible. Turn page... Lee important for the de- de- what does it say? De- democratic. De- democratic use of our procedures and abilities as a nation to succeed in the mo- modern world. Sit down, look happy. Look convinced. Thank you. Senator Church, for your input. This is very interesting. I will certainly be taking this into consideration. Sharon, remind me I need to get milk on the way home. You don't need to write this bit down, Sharon. In fact, Sharon, put the pen down. I've got something else for you to hold. Psst, psst, I'm only. Yes, yes, Church. I'm not 100% sure what he's trying to get us to say here. Ooh, ooh, yes. Ooh, 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 ooh. Oh. I'm just making weird sounds. I'm not convinced this is meant to be part of the script. Abandon script. Abandon script. <laughs> Linda B. Johnson. Part one. <coughs> oh my god. <clears throat> he sure be. Ah, to be sure, to be sure. He's now Irish. He is Irish. Right, we good? Yeah. Hello and welcome. (laughs) Sorry, I got a message. (laughs) It's alright, don't worry. It's alright. It's alright. Yeah, it's fine. It's alright. I mean, go, go, go. Start without me. No, no, no. No, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there, catching up. Well, you said you were going to be there before, but you weren't. Well, that was a long time ago, Jamie. I just want you to blind and be there for me. <laughs> I'll be Johnson for you. <laughs> After last I time. don't know what any of this means. Anyway, let's, let's do a Come on, let's start. Let's do this.